Welcome to the newest version of the Redemptive Edge. Uh, I'm Dave Blanchard, the Praxis co-founder and CEO, and today I'm going to be recording an interview with Andy Crouch, who has normally been the host of this podcast. And today we're going to talk about the thing that's on everyone's mind, uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, and what to do in this new world that we're living in, and in many ways living through right now, trying to navigate a very complex time as entrepreneurs, builders, organizational leaders, uh, almost all of us have a critical stake in what's going on. And as Christians, as Christian leaders, it is such an important opportunity for us to lead during this time. And uh, today, uh, Andy and I are going to talk about uh, some of his thinking on this topic. Um, we acknowledge before we go into the conversation that things are changing so fast uh, so frequently that what we say today um, may not sound right in a week from now. Um, but we also know that this is a time to uh, produce, uh, to culture make on our own, because people need to hear and think and process together with us uh, what to do during this time. So you'll find this episode to be a little low, a lower production than some of our prior uh, episodes. We're not taking a lot of time to edit it uh, or think about it too much, but we wanted to reach out and give you a resource to think about uh, and to talk about with the people who are closest to you, whether that's in your organization uh, or your family and beyond. So with that as a little bit of preamble, uh, Andy, maybe um, uh, we could jump into that idea of time, uh, if that's okay, and uh, talk a little bit about last week. Um, you wrote a piece called Love in the Time of Coronavirus. Uh, that was a, really a call to Christian leaders to think about gatherings and social norms and so on. Can you can you take us back uh, a week ago and just tell us what you were thinking and uh, what the response to that piece was and and how it applies to where we are right now? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Um, at at the time I started writing it, I had one extremely urgent thing that I was hoping the piece might contribute to, but then also a very important thing that is kind of important, whether or not um, whatever urgencies there might have been. The urgent thing was that as hard as it is to imagine in a way a week later, uh, there really was a lot of confusion uh, about how much, um, st how many steps were really needed to respond to the virus. Most people weren't seeing cases in their community. Uh, even, you know, public health officials uh, were not um, saying that there was widespread community transmission across the U.S., um, and a lot of leaders were making decisions about the coming weekend, especially church services, but other things. And yeah. so I just wanted to convey this kind of essential insight from epidemiology that unless you act before it feels too too early, uh, unless you act when it feels too early, it's actually too late. And that leaders have to act when it feels too early and that the changes that were needed uh, were just drastic. Well, that, uh, thanks be to God, uh, that has changed. And people uh, responded, not just to my piece, of course, but to the whole um, changing kind of guidance from officials and from their own deliberations. And it's just so encouraging how quickly we have shifted norms. We should have done it faster. We should have done it more thoroughly. There are still places in the U.S. where I think people feel this is very distant and it's still urgent uh, in some places, but uh, certainly there's been a massive change. But at the same time, uh, the deeper issue is that leaders have kind of a dual role at moments like this. And one, one role is to make very concrete decisions. Do we meet? How do we meet? What are the protocols with which we meet? Very concrete things. Um, but the other is to take what, you know, in the piece I call symbolic action. 
And the way that we make decisions and the way that we hold ourselves as we do things, even very urgently, in some, pla- in some ways above all when we're doing things urgently, makes such a difference for the people that we're leading and for the culture we're shaping. So I wanted to, uh, even as I just made my own case, uh, just drawing on the best I could find of public health uh, guidance for how drastic the changes need to be, I also wanted to help us redirect social energy because in times like this, there's huge amounts of anxiety. There can be uh, panic of various kinds. Um, and instead we need to do what we do out of love and we need to do it out of a sense of concern, not for ourselves. Uh, the Christian posture is not to be worried about ourselves, our own lives, uh, anything, but it is to be intensely focused on the love of our neighbor and orient everything we do in that direction. So that was the, the assignment, um, you know, on March 11th and by March 12th, we had something worth sharing. Um, if we can uh, maybe shift gears to um, this uh, a second piece that uh, we've been collaborating on together, and uh, really came out of some of your some of your core ideas and uh, some of the conversations that we've been having around how to uh, shape and, and counsel organizations in the practice portfolio. For those of you who are listeners who who don't know the the complete scope of our work, we. Uh, have a couple hundred ventures in 43 countries around the world that employ about 5,000 people, um, businesses, nonprofits, and really every conceivable sector who are uh, going to come into a moment where things are are rapidly uh, not changing, but but maybe have permanent change to them. Uh, Andy, you you've developed a um, a really helpful framework that we've expanded on in this piece uh, around. Uh, these kind of three cold weather ways of thinking about uh, what we're in. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's kind of ironic to be talking about blizzards uh, as we enter the Northern Hemisphere spring, uh, but it's a metaphor from Michael Osterholm, who's an infectious disease specialist at the University of Minnesota. And he has been saying, uh, most people think we're in a blizzard, uh, like a Minnesota blizzard, uh, where for a few days we have to hunker down and everything's different. But then, you know, the snow stops falling, the plows do their work, and then we're back to normal. And he's saying this is not a blizzard. This is the beginning of winter. Um, and I think that is unquestionably correct. Like, I have I have no doubt that is correct. And, of course, the president of the United States himself, uh, with his advisors, said, exactly that, that we're thinking about July or August as the horizon here. This is a season, not a few days. And I'm afraid that many Americans really feel like, oh, this is like a, a couple snow days. Um, and it's not going to be like that because the measures that are going to be needed to prevent the breakdown of our healthcare system are going to be of extremely long duration and of extremely, an extremely drastic nature like we have never seen in anyone's lifetime uh, in the United States. Um, uh, but there is a further horizon, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, which is there's this kind of uh, crazy thing that happened um, in 1816. It was called the year without a summer because of a volcanic eruption in Indonesia that was one of the largest uh, in, in human in the history of the human race. Um, and it led to a year where there was frost in every month, even in very temperate climates all through the summer. Uh, crops failed. It was a time of tremendous famine. And it happened to come at the end of this thing called the Little Ice Age in Europe and the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, There was a a multi-century event of uh, kind of a a periodic cooling of the environment. Not quite a technical ice age, but but, uh, 
just a, a significant change in climate. Uh, the opposite kind of climate change from what some people uh, think we, we may well be in right now. Um, well, if you go beyond winter to an ice age, uh, you, you think completely differently again. In other words, going from blizzard to winter is, oh, this is months, not weeks. Uh, but I think it is imperative that anyone who is thinking about the long-term future of any group of people think in terms of, let's call it a little ice age. I do not actually mean that I expect this to be centuries long at all. Uh, I just haven't thought of a better <laughs> metaphor, uh, but I do think we should think about years. So thinking about years, not months of dramatic total changes in the way life is conducted. Now, this doesn't mean that we are all going to be in total social isolation for years. People simply cannot do that, and um, and that will not probably be the shape of it. Uh, but it it does mean uh, a totally different set of conditions than we were living in just a couple of weeks ago that extend for basically until the population has immunity from the disease, either by... Um, natural immunity, that is most of us get it or 60 to 70% of us get it. And then the disease just can't spread because a large group of people are immune or a vaccine uh, for which a, a, a very sober timeline would be 18 to 24 months, perhaps sooner. And of course we all pray it sooner, Yeah. but we need to be thinking that the really tricky thing about leadership right now is you've got to be actually convincing people, no, it really is a blizzard. Like don't go to parties, which unfortunately is still happening as we're, as we speak, then you need to be thinking about winter months, not about weeks. And then you really need to be thinking organizational organizationally about years. And this means that, um, everything you thought you did uh, for most organizations, because there's very few organizations that don't gather people together in some way. Everything you thought you did, uh, you are now going to do, if you do it at all, very differently. And that's kind of the burden of this piece leading beyond the blizzard. Um, maybe along those lines, you could expand a little bit on um, uh, just thinking about uh, business leadership, nonprofit leadership, uh, organizations. I mean, I think in many ways this will apply to churches. Uh, as Christian leaders who have been in a, um, let's just call it, a, we've been in a business of some form. We've been in a line of work with a, with a mission and an angle and a, an approach. Uh, maybe some of us put a pitch deck together that say, oh, here's how we do what we do. You know, here's our why, and then here's how we do it. Um, what counsel would you give to uh, organizational leaders um, at this moment? Yeah. Uh, your, your who and your why, uh, almost surely do not, do not change at this moment. I mean, maybe some people will discover new things they're called to and new communities, but the community you've been serving, whether they're customers or clients or, uh, you know, uh, partners, beneficiaries, however you talk about in terms of in your organization members, uh, they are still there. <laughs> the needs that you identified are absolutely still real. If you work with at-risk youth, I guarantee those youth still exist and are still at risk. Yeah. Um, the the how and very possible and the what you might say how you do it, what you do and how you do it. That's uh, I I think every leader should assume that's gone. And the reason we should assume it's gone is not because we know that it's gone, uh, because we, we don't know. Uh, and of course, we hope for better outcomes than the worst case scenario. But if 
if the what and the how of how you've done business up to this moment is not gone and it, and it is just a winter and a couple months from now you can resume, you know how to resume. But uh, but you, that is not the most, in my judgment, that is not the most likely reality. And and by the way, this is not just because of the virus, it's because of the economic, uh, the economic right. shift. And we do not know today how to operate our organizations in those conditions. And that has to be our full attention because if it turns out that doesn't happen, then we can go back to our old playbook. So, you know, as we say in the piece, uh, you can keep the first three pages, the first three slides of your pitch deck, the first three slides of your presentation that show who you serve and and why they need um, what you provide. The rest of the deck, delete it, Uh, start over, ask, who do I have with me? Uh, what are we able to do in these conditions? Let's assume these conditions continue longer than we ever could have imagined. What can we still do? What becomes possible that wasn't possible before? Um, I'm sitting in my basement right now. My wife, who is a university professor, is upstairs. She's doing this with her colleagues on another call right now. Uh, Who do we serve? Students. What do we do? Education. How do we do it? Totally changed. Uh, I mean, she's, (laughs) my wife teaches labs, physics, physics labs, like no one can come into the lab. Uh, what if that's not just winter, like the rest of the semester, but that's an ice age where maybe for a couple of years, uh, in-person instruction is disrupted. I don't think that's an unrealistic scenario, unfortunately, for some of the reasons we go into more detail in the piece. So here's your chance <laughs> to serve the people you're called to serve. And this doesn't matter if you're for-profit or non-profit, you're, in, you're, you're serving when you create good in the world to, to very quickly uh, rethink everything about what you do and how you do it with the people you've been given and the levels of trust you have with one another. Um, that is that is the task of leadership right now, even as, as you said, we, we help shepherd people through the immediate blizzard, the immediate stresses of suddenly being at home and working from home and all that, the winter realities, but the leader's eye has to be on um, a, a three to five year horizon where we do everything we've done differently. Yeah. Uh, that is a sobering, a sobering analysis. Obviously I think a lot of the folks who are listening will be trying to make sense of what you just said there for a while and grapple with it. Um, I think it's worth saying that, uh, this is a time of of real possibility. Uh, sometimes you'll you'll hear, I think, in the public that that's an economic frame. A lot of people say, "Well, the best companies were started in recessions," and that's that is true. Um, uh, that that's been true throughout history. Uh, I think we would encourage everybody who's listening to say, "What what redemptive possibility has just emerged um, here? Uh, it's it's going to be so significant." A couple more uh, just kind of cuts on what you were saying there, Andy, is, uh, you know, our board chair, Kirk Kyle Hacker, who's been really helpful in, in uh, framing up these ideas, too, is, you know, he said, you know, basically every organization right now should take out a blank sheet of paper and say, uh, who's on our who's on our team? What's our um, bank account? And what social capital uh, do we have? What intellectual capital do we have? That's in that trust bucket that I think you mentioned. And let's des- let's design from here what the world needs now. And I think there, there's two ways leaders can frame that conversation. One is we have nothing. Let's panic. We've got to figure out something. And 
the, that'll you know, be great. Yeah, that'll go great. Um, and uh, and everybody will feel that, right? Every everyone from the as we we talk about, you know, the the leader shapes their organization, their stakeholders, and their industries. And if entire industries, which we are seeing, go into panic without without strong leadership that says, okay, let's step into this with with a creative, redemptive imagination. Um, we're going to be in a, a deeper ice age, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for us right now, I think we can all say, hey, there's a reality of what's happening where we, in the near term, know that uh, money, whether that's funding or customers or whatever, is going to go down. Um, and our time is likely to go up. A lot of the activities that we yes. have been doing are stopping. And that's so cool. what will we do with those two uh, angles and there's a creative take that we can all apply. We can all step in with our teams and have creative conversations around how do we how do we manage with less and what do we do with this newfound time? And there's blizzard reactions where where uh, which are needed, which says how can we serve right now in this very moment? There's winter reactions of how can we design for uh, a multiple year shift in what we need to do? And then there's I think really important as part of the, the the thrust of our conversation here today is there's really important uh, intake in in uh, processing that needs to happen around. Let's presume that there are multi year changes here that you know yes they're industry dependent, um, yes they're you know drug therapy dependent. There's a lot of dependence here, but we should be operating under the high likelihood that we have entered a new age, not a uh, not a just a time or a moment. Uh, that we're going to get through. And that's that's why we've titled it Leading Beyond the Blizzard, uh, not Leading Through the Blizzard. It's not actually just you know getting to the other that's side right. of this. It's changing, um, uh, knowing that this blizzard is going to have uh, long-term changes. Um, what, one thing I'd love for you to comment on there, Andy, is just as we do that, uh, there's a, there could be a, a tendency for us to race into productivity, to race mm-hmm. into solving mm-hmm. things, whether it's panic connected or not, um, that discounts the the deep grief and lament of the situation that oh. we're in, discounts it for us, discounts it for our teams, for our families, and just tries to get to that next thing in sort of, you know, our especially American kind of achievement mindset. Yeah. Yes. What what should we what should we do as organizational leaders who have the ability to uh help people go through that grief and process and who will experience a large amount of it ourselves. Let's remember that this is not new for the people of God. Um, and for Christians, obviously we think about the events of Holy week, but, but let's think about the experience of Israel when uh, first the Northern kingdom and then the, the Southern kingdom were conquered and led into exile. Uh, I mean, that was cataclysmic beyond anything I myself anticipate uh, happening. I, I do expect this to be as world reshaping as the Great War and the Spanish flu uh, of a century ago. Uh, it's, I, for the moment, <laughs> I don't see the kind of uh, dis- cultural destruction, uh, tantamount, at least uh, tantamount to genocide in a way that Babylon uh, inflicted on every uh, nation that it conquered. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, Psalm 137, is it? Uh, by the waters of Babylon, we lay down. I think it says we lay down, we sat down and wept when we remembered mm-hmm. Zion. 
Hmm. Um, it is absolutely right to weep. Um, I do not, yeah. I, I recommend that leaders be very careful about how we weep in front of others, uh, because that can be very distressing for people and we're there to serve them, not to process our own emotions. But Monday morning, uh, I've sat down and wept. I've only wept that way a handful of times in my adult life. Um, because of what I pers- just personally, what I had to die to and, and lose in this season. Um, and the, the mystery is that actually that grief and loss, which we then need to facilitate others having time for that and create a, a protecting environment in which others can, can have their own moments of grief, um, that actually is part of in some very mysterious way, God's creative power. Uh, Mm. The question in that Psalm um, is how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And, and it's asked from, I think really in the Psalm from a point of great despair, you've got to be kidding. How do we sing Yahweh's song in the land of Babylon, in the land of, uh, you know, the the false gods. Um, But there was an answer to that question. And that psalm is one of the answers. It's one of the psalms. It's one of the songs of the Lord that was written in a foreign land. And uh, every other nation that Babylon conquered disappeared from history, Uh, left no cultural trace. Israel did not disappear. Um, And part of the reason was it it had prophets like Jeremiah who told them what was coming. and Israel actually found a way, and this is recorded for us in books like uh, Daniel and uh, Esther and others, Nehemiah, uh, found a way to, to sing the Lord's song in this totally new environment. And, and in fact, uh, this pr- prepared the way for Jesus, who is the ultimate rescue from exile in a way, who, whose life, ministry, death, resurrection, and sending of his spirit then breaks open the gifts of Israel for all the nations, all the Gentiles, um, which Israel had always sort of imagined being a light to the nations. But in fact, it was a, it was a very self-protective nation. Uh, understandably, it was tiny. It was threatened at all times. But the exile and all that happened after it culminating in Jesus's own arrival. And then of course being, you know, you could say recapitulated in his own suffering, his own lament, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, that led after the cataclysm to the, mm. the gift of the spirit and, and led to us today being able to sing Israel's song as, as people grafted in, as Paul says to, to this original root. And this was a, a, a an, an image from Isaiah, right? Uh, the, the tree is going to be cut down, but there's going to be the stump left and there's going to be a root that will come out of the stump. There's going to be a, a, a shoot, I should say. Uh, this green shoot is going to come out and it's going to be a, for the blessing and the healing of the nations. And and that that wasn't just an idle wish. That was the, the plan and purpose of God and it actually happened. If that happened to Israel, and they went through that uh, as they did with faith and songs of, of both lament and praise and hope. And if they took creative action in the way that Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah and others did, um, we can we can do it. And and so mm-hmm. we, we sit down and we cry, and then we get up and um, that I you can tell in my voice I still have grief, but I'm not I I'm not. Uh, 
I'm not paralyzed by grief today at all. Uh, I feel it, but I am ready to create. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to give up whatever I need to in order to do what God calls me to do. And that's a great place to be. And um, really, really beautiful things are going to be created in this time uh, by people who both lament and hope. And I, I want to be one of those. Yeah. Amen, Andy. Um, I think it's, it's so important just to drive that home that, uh, it's, 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 it's not only permit, there's not only permission for leaders to grieve right now, but it's actually in my mind, at least a requisite. It's essential. It's essential. That's right. Anything else yeah. is denial and is a, is a, in a way a failure of leading. Uh, yeah. but it's, yeah. Yeah. but, but That's it's, right. it, it's offered up to God and, and you will find, you will find resources of hope, uh, as, as you, as you grieve. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, just in closing here, I think, um, and I want to thank you so much for, uh, your, your thoughts, Andy, um, personally. Uh, which has been a, an immense gift to have you um, next to me and next to our team um, in processing this and helping us grieve appropriately and helping us dream appropriately. Um, and I hope it's a I hope it's a gift to uh, the listeners here as well. Uh, just maybe one one ending thought from from me here in the acts as we go forward as leaders. Um, to what you were just speaking about there, there's a, I think a real risk for some that we would be paralyzed, that we would, um, <clears throat> because of all of the uncertainty right now, because of the, the preciousness with which we hold the work we do, the what and the how is so dear to us uh, in, in many ways. There's a risk that uh, we go into denial and we hide instead of lead. Um, we, the, in the very moment that we're called to, uh, go out in front in the, in the very moment where God has given us different seats of, uh, for leadership, um, we don't know how to process it. We don't take the time to do that. And, um, we, we wait instead. And, uh, maybe even we frame our, our own denial and fear around, uh, caution and wisdom and think that two or three or four months from now, we'll be able to see more clearly and we'll make some of these larger moves. Um, we'll dream up some of these things uh, once we have a better view of things. And I just want to urge folks who are listening that you may not have that time. Um, just to start, uh, just to end where we started. Um, Andy, you said uh, that uh, we need to act when it feels too early. Hmm. Um, otherwise, it's too late. Yeah. And um, that would be just my closing urging for uh, anyone who's listening who has uh, leadership responsibility, and that that's all of you, whether you're leading an organization, a business, a startup, a nonprofit, a church, a family, whatever your role is, this is the time to act, um, but act with uh, the Lord alongside you uh, and with a, a clear head that has gone through and will continue to go through uh, a process of lament and creativity in a bit of a recursive loop there, I think. So... Um, with that, uh, thanks again, Andy, uh, for uh, for joining today. Um, thanks okay. uh, for all of you who are listening. And um, we hope this is a, a service to you. We hope that you can process it and 
um, we, uh, we just pray for you, um, not knowing who you are, or where you are, uh, but pray for your own uh, ability to go through this and, um, and come out uh, with hope and possibility uh, for serving the world in this different and strange time.